Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you grow your brand for a healthier planet. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Jordan McGregor, founder and CEO of Bear and Boho, one of Australia's earliest success stories in the reusable nappy, nursery and female hygiene space. Jordan takes us on a journey from figuring out how to make reusable nappies made from sustainable fabrics for her own baby boy through initial sellout success on a Facebook Live and later breakthrough moments like appearing on Shark Tank and getting into Aldi nationwide. Nowadays, her brand is an international success with distributors worldwide and we look at how her team are refocusing on direct-to-consumer sales and what action they're taking to keep in front of the changing expectations of their customers. Even if you don't know Jordan, you can't help but feel a sense of pride in all she's accomplished, and I'm so happy she shared her story with us. So, with that, let's start the show. Jordan McGregor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Giles, for having me. Uh, so exciting to have you, Jordan. Your brand, Bear and Boho, is doing, I think, punching way above its weight in terms of what you're actually accomplishing in the sustainability space. And it's a tremendous brand. And you tell your story so, so well. And there are so many parts of this that I want to unpick for the audience's pleasure today. But before we get into all of that, could I just ask you to just tell us a little bit about Bear and Boho and tell us how you came, what's the founder story? How did you come to start this thing in the first place? Yep, sure. Absolutely. It's a bit of a funny story, but also quite common, I think, with businesses that seem to have grown um, with their journey. So we started out with me just designing or having my first son a few months in realizing, wow, we're, we're just wasting so much, not only money, but a lot of rubbish just going straight to landfill with nappies, wipes, all of those things that are very common when you have a baby. So I went on a hunt to find a reusable alternative um, in the cloth space. And really at that point, there wasn't anything that was definitely mainstream or accessible and at that point also affordable. So I designed my own cloth nappy. I actually drew it up initially and um, then went to a seamstress in Townsville at the time, North Queensland, and really just said to her, I, I want to design this for my son. I'm not interested in really doing anything with it. I just want to create a couple of nappies for my own use. So we started with the cloth nappy. She had been a seamstress for decades. So she really understood the concept, but it was also new for her as well. So we had a few prototypes made and eventually had one that I ended up using. And in the mother's groups up there, I was pitching my, my product saying, look, this is what I use. I'm really enjoying it. And all of a sudden, a lot of the fellow mums were actually wanting to access this. So at that point, I was like, wow, okay, there, I really have to try and work out how we can produce more. Our seamstress at the time really could only make probably one a month, which really isn't a, a viable solution if wanting to go cloth for even one child. So I began taking photos of that, looking overseas, um, working with different manufacturers and eventually found one that worked with my not only price point, but also ethical um, decisions that I, I needed to make at that point with production in China. So I sent over my sample, he sent one back and really a few months later, I got photos made with a friend of mine with our kids in the nappies and, um, and launched it to the world via a Facebook video. Wow. And that first night we sold out of 
I had made my, my own little website at that point, a $500 website um, on Squarespace <laughs> and my own photos all over that. And really we were only selling three products and there were three different types of nappies at that point with a hemp insert and my own homemade brand logo that I had made up, Bear and Boho, um, and really pitched that to the world. And overnight we sold out of all of those nappies from that one Facebook video, which equated to about $14,000 worth of stock, which was a lot for my little business. Obviously, I'd kind of assumed that stock would last me about a year. There you go. What a tremendous kickoff that was. That would have given you so much enthusiasm and encouragement to keep it going. It was so exciting. <laughs> yeah, those sorts of launches when they go wildly beyond your, your highest expectations are always sort of super exciting. So congratulations. So what was the next step? What did you do then? Like, how did you then scale that out? Good question. I actually, um, after that, I, I didn't even have postage satchels. Like, that's how unprepared I was for my own launch. And because I'd sold so much stock, I, I took all of that stock down to the local post office. And really, I was just trolley after trolley, packing my stock into the postage satchels there, sending it out, all handwritten postage satchels. And then from there, really, we were in a sold out period of stock for two years straight. Anything that I had coming in, I'd pop on the website. It sold. As soon as it arrived, it was already sold. So two years, I literally didn't even need a warehouse space because the stock that came in within a night or two, it was packed, sent out. So at that point, we were really struggling because um, we just couldn't keep up with the demand. So at that point, I was also really promoting my brand at Baby Expos. Um, the Baby Expo space is really where a lot of brands kind of have that interaction with the customer. And I was making the most of that. So I was attending two to four expos a year, promoting the brand, taking what little stock I had. Because I had no stock, it was all sold out online. I would take pre-orders via email, you know, get the customer to write their name, email number. I'd go home, email them, take their order, and then continuing to obviously sell out of that stock. So at that point, I um, was definitely one of the biggest and most appealing um, nappy brands that were expoing at these trade shows. And one of the years I had the Aldi baby buyers come out and they said, oh, we, we really love your product. Um, at that point, I actually didn't even know they were the baby buyers. They just came in and they were looking at the product. They loved it. We got chatting. And then probably a week later, I got an email from Aldi baby buyers. We'd love to launch the first reusable cloth nappy in our Aldi stores nationwide. So obviously I was beyond excited. It was um, very much past my, or beyond my um experience or understanding of what to do, where to start. They invited me down to pitch the product officially in their office. And I took a nappy down. I didn't even have packaging. I didn't have a barcode. I didn't have any of that. And just basically said, look, this is the product. Um, to meet the price point, we'd have to make it a little bit more basic than our online version. And I'll get back, I'll design some um, packaging, like we'll be fine, I'll make it happen. Um, and of course, they send through a 20 page document on what the packaging needs to look like. And so um, really, I just got started and worked on that at that point. It was still very much me full time in my business with a little toddler. And we designed the nappy and, and launched that 2020, I believe it was, in February. So the product sold out in five minutes nationwide. It was on the media. Apparently, you know, parents were pushing with their prams, fighting the aisles for our product. It was really the typical um, launch in Aldi that was just so fun. And that kicked out our, I think, really our um, 
our exposure in retail stores um, and then since have been able to gain access to many other retail stores and distributors through that campaign and that experience. So tell me, you had an experience with Shark Tank. Uh, tell me that where, whereabouts was that in your journey and how did it help propel you forward? Yes, yeah, so I think I saw the email come up, um, apply for Shark Tank if you've got a business or a brand. That was in late 2018. So we'd been, we'd been live, um, launched to the world about 12 months at that point. And I just thought, let's go for it. So as many times in my journey, I've really, you know, catapulted not only our product range, but this, this underground movement of nappies. I brought it to the mainstream again and again throughout our journey, which, is, which has been really fun. So Shark Tank happened. I applied, you know, I pitched my product to the producers. I had a baby on my hip because he was attached to me at that point. My marketing husband, tools. Brilliant. Love it. <laughs> I mean, I really had no choice, but I guess, yep, marketing tool there it was. But um, we pitched our product. And they loved it. It was, you know, they hadn't had that kind of product on the show. Not often that a baby product does come through um, on Shark Tank and they immediately loved it and, and fell in love with the story. So in 2019, that was kind of proceeding before we actually went down to pitch the product live to the um, Shark Tank investors. And yeah, it was a very nerve wracking experience, but it was filming for about two hours that I guess that communication with the, the Shark Tank investors and we received an investment. So that was really, really exciting. I mean, at that point, I was it wasn't that we needed the money in the business. It was just more I needed that, I guess, mentorship as to where to take the brand now because we were moving so fast at that point. So, I mean, I was just happy to get someone on board who believed in the product and believed in the brand. And I would have done that for free, for zero dollars. You know, so anyway, we got um, that that amazing um, investment, that amazing experience underway. And before it actually went live on TV, I think about four or five months later, the producers emailed me and said, look, your website, it's, it's really not going to handle the traffic that's going to come your way. You might want to look at, um, you know, replatforming. So I went and, and hustled with this project of replatforming our entire brand, um, doing a rebrand at the same time. And that was really a month's project, but we got it live just in time for the national preview of the Shark Tank episode. And really that episode, I covered my eyes the whole time. I was, <laughs> I don't want to look, I don't want to look, just, it's, you know, I don't want to look. And then really my phone was just pinging as soon as that Shark Tank um, episode started, my Shopify platform on my phone was pinging because the orders were coming in every, you know, 30 seconds, ping, 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 all night for 24 hours. And I knew that the producers were right because my little $500 website would not have handled one, that traffic, but two, also um, the interaction on the site and the purchasing. So that was, you know, for about six months to 12 months after that, we were getting emails weekly. The inbox couldn't handle it about customers asking about our product. Um, how can they access it? What, how to use it? They love the idea. Do we do it for adults? You know, the aged care sector, children and disability um, sector, can we produce our nappy? It was just, you know, there was all of these opportunities opening for us and, it was really at that point still just me. So that was, you know, it was really too much for me to handle, but it was a wonderful experience. And from there, our brand just grew and grew and, and together with the trade shows and that customer interaction and that interaction with unsuspecting um, retail buyers, uh, gradually our brand was able to, to really make that, you know, really get into the retail space yeah. first in the industry. Yeah, amazing. What an incredible journey and so incredibly smart from a cash flow perspective. What you've essentially done is, 
you've leapfrogged the whole difficult hard yards of the cash flow of starting up a business by taking pre-orders for everything. So you've already got paid before you've even put the orders into the factory, which is just genius. Very, very clever. Um, I don't know whether that was planned or if it just worked that way, but it was very, very good. It allowed you to get through that really, really tough period to the point where you could stand in front of the Shark Tank investors knowing you didn't need the money, which is a very powerful position to be bargaining with investors as well. So, you know, amazing congratulations. So where are you today in terms of the balance of your of your marketing? Is it is it mostly retail through your store? Is it mostly wholesale through your distributors? Yeah, good question. So really up to that point, through up to Shark Tank, we were solely B2C through that little e-com platform I'd created. And then after Shark Tank, it was more really because we'd been able to replatform on Shopify, we were able to kind of put in a little bit more of the, of the infrastructure needed to support a B2B, you know, direct to boutiques. So that was all the small boutiques here in Australia and New Zealand. And then I guess over time, once we were able to create that partnership with Aldi, that was the first exploration of major retail partnerships. So we really started gaining more experience. Um, we were putting together all the infrastructure needed for big retail, such as packaging, such as um, shelf cartons, such as barcoding and, and all of that. So that was our first kind of deep dive into major retail. And that's been a couple of years now. Um, we still have more beautiful contracts to launch um, in store with Aldi. And since we've also been omnichannel um, in a variety of other ways, so not only do we have the B2C through our e-com, we have our B2B through our e-com. We also do our major retail partnerships, Aldi, Woolworths, Iconic, um, but we also do um, marketplaces. So that's quite common now where um, multi-brand retailers will take on your brand. So we are also selling through those various marketplaces around the world. And we are also working through distributorships um, internationally. So really, we've got the whole spread of <laughs> purchase options. And I think for now, that's that's really working for us. I think it's during COVID, it was really instrumental to not only have the e-com side, but also that um, more budget retail partnership options. So people could go in and get their nappy while they're getting their groceries. And it was at a price point that was really friendly. So I think we were able to kind of carry that omni-channel throughout. And at the moment, we're still definitely omni-channel. I think over time, we're hoping to focus more on the B2C. But in order to do that, it does need a lot of um, infrastructure and, and tech integration on the website to be competitive in a, in a true B2C space. So we're just really balancing all at the moment, but we need to kind of redirect our, our movement more into B2C and create more of that customised, personalised experience through our e-com platform. Whereas to date, our B2B has grown the business exponentially more than we've been able to achieve in five to 10 years at least. Yeah, yeah. You know what? This is a very common story. I see this a lot with with brands that, like yourself, that expand rapidly through, through B2B, through their stockists, through the wholesalers. And then at some point they go, right, hang on. This is actually now interrupting our growth in B2C because we are competing with our own product on other people's platforms in, in through the, you know, through Facebook ads, through Google ads and all that sort of stuff. And now, and then they start to try and work out how to claw that back and do more, bring more in because they know then that they can control the conversation with the customers. They can have more influence and impact, particularly for sustainable brands like you guys. And obviously then they've got more margin. So one of the greatest challenges that we often face is, is this balance between managing our wholesale partners and and the DTC in terms of pricing pressures how are you how are you managing that because you've got such a broad spread of you know partners that you work with and then you've got your own store as well how are you managing that what what, what tips can you share yeah I think at the moment we're only five years into this so it's been 
you know, instrumental in our growth in having that wide array of sales channels to the customer. And really, it's very different. The Not only the price point, but the purchasing of a major retail is you know, one end of the spectrum and then purchasing for your e-com is the other end of the spectrum. So it's really worked to date. And where we couldn't compete thanks to COVID and the shipping, our major retailers were able to get their shipping containers in. So I think really at the moment it's been able to work. Moving forward, I guess what we're trying to do is, is understand really what is required to be a true online B2C player. And to do that, you do not only need to spend a lot in your infrastructure and the tech, but you need to understand that in order to do that, you really need to probably lose some of that B2B um, sales channels. So we're still trying to understand it ourselves. Um, Our B2B is something that we really value and cherish. And I think for a, a consumer who is not only now more than ever having to be wary of where they're spending their household budget I think we're able to pitch ourselves at a price point that is valuable to the customer so I think it's it's really that value proposition that we are able to give through those major retail channels and then more so through our B2C our e-com platform it is more of that higher end customized personalized experience that we want to give so we're deep diving into that it's it is going to take um, some time and, and it's a fast moving um, space I mean every every almost month there's another tech you know tech integration you should be doing there's something else you need to be upgrading it's there's a lot of data that needs to run that b2c well and I think we we're just starting to understand that now so we'll be balancing it for a little bit and I do believe that omnichannel is is really important for us we I don't think we'll ever be truly b2c or truly b2b Balancing it is important for us as a product-based business because people want to go and touch it and feel it in a store and then either buy it at home if they if they want that option or, or see it online or see it on socials and then go in and touch it and feel it. So that omni-channel will always pay an important part an important part in our um, offering to the customer. But yeah, we're, we're really just understanding it now. Amazing, amazing. And so, you know, looking at your site these days, you've come a heck of a long way from those early days on, on Squarespace with five different nappies. You've got, I don't know how many, but dozens, if not hundreds of, of products in, in that whole space there. How do, you, how do you manage that? You know, how, what's your strategy for finding new products that are relevant for your customers, making sure that they're sustainable and, and working with your factories? I know that, you, I know that one thing that you do is work with a, an organization called CDEX, which I would love you to tell the listeners a little bit more about. And how, how important is that in your overall um, supply chain? Yeah, I guess it's two parts to that to that super large question there. I guess I'll start with the first one, which is more understanding the SKU range that we have. So I've got two little boys and really every single product we've launched has been part of my parenting journey. So, you know, we went through the newborn nappies then to the, to the one size nappies and to the training pull-ups. Then, you know, we're starting swim lessons, so we need a reusable swim nappy. Then we're at the beach all day. We need a protective swimwear. Plus we need all of those accessories that go with that journey. So really everything to date has been something that I've wanted to launch, something that um, either I'll design or design with, with my team to launch. That's meant to tick off those, bu- those boxes of that life cycle from newborn up to, you know, early kindergarten. So our SKU range, it does, um, in hindsight, it is quite large, but I guess from a parenting lifestyle perspective, they're not doubling up at any one point. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're progressing to the next product in in the um, offering that, that we have. So moving forward, managing our SKUs, I think at the moment where we're really trying to cater to not only the eco 
friendly, budget-minded parent who wants a reusable nappy, but also really using those recycled and um, eco-friendly fibres that we have and push that into new product ranges that can appeal to parents who may not want to use a nappy, a reusable nappy, but may want to purchase, you know, a recycled textile food smock when they're starting solids or, or maybe look at a play mat that's that's made from bamboo fibre and, and, you know, a recycled polyester. So I think we're trying to offer a wide variety of products so that we're not really pigeonholing any parent. So when they come to our brand, which is now a, go, a global brand, that they can find something for them at any point in their journey and wherever they are. So that's kind of the skew range. I guess with our SEDEX platform, that's that's something that has always been important for us. One, we, we do produce a manufacturer in China. Everything's designed here and, and we work with Australian designers, but we actually produce the product in China. So with that does come a lot of uncertainty as to how that product is being produced. And it was really important for me from the get-go that I had a one-on-one relationship with not only the manufacturing um, owner, but also understanding how his team worked, how the production worked and and really being part of that um, process. So now we work with up to five or six manufacturers now over a variety of different product ranges. And the SEDEX platform actually allows us to maintain that high level of standard without us actually needing to do all of the auditing ourselves. So SEDEX is the platform that... Um, really provides that third-party auditing and they they have a very high standard that those manufacturers that are part of that platform are able to understand and meet all of those requirements. So, um, yeah, SEDEX has been great. It's allowed us to maintain that ethical standard without us needing to do that ourselves when we may not really understand all the legal, all the technical, all of the safety requirements that go hand-in-hand with a manufacturing base in China. We've actually also visited the the manufacturing facility as well. So um, that's been important for us and we'll be doing more of that now that the world's opened up. And also trying to find other manufacturing facilities outside of China is really important to us for our supply chain protection. So we're exploring that as well over the next year. You've mentioned something that I thought was interesting and I'd like to drill into a little bit more. You know, you started five years ago, which was not early necessarily in the sustainability space, but certainly early in Australia, I think, other than perhaps in the broad region of Byron Bay and and surrounds. But how have you seen consumer demand for this sorts of product change over that five years from when you got started? Has has it shifted to be more mainstream or is it still mostly eco-warriors that kind of buy your product? Yeah, that's a really interesting point because the reason why I started my own line was because I couldn't find what I needed. Then reusable nappy space at that point was underground. You either had to, understand what you were looking for or you were already you know a huge eco warrior you know so we needed to bring it out of that hippie parent only space and make it mainstream and I think part of that progression is not only our consumers understanding more environmentally wise but actually budget wise as well and really knowing your options and so for us we've never really pitched it as you're a cloth nappy your cloth nappies or nothing it's really how can cloth nappies assist you? How can cloth nappies assist us in um, reducing our landfill, landfill contribution, but also reducing our household budget? And I think that's really something that customers are, are looking for as well when it comes to their, their babies. When, when you are potentially having two or three, four kids in nappies at the one time, you're spending a lot. So I think the, the customer is definitely more conscious savvy. They, they do understand what they, what they want. They want it easy. They want it at a good price point and they want it delivered fast. They're all 
you know, it's not just that one line of, of eco-friendly. I think it's a whole mixture of different demands that the customer wants now and really making sure that you are ticking off all of them. The eco-friendly pillar has been the central pillar of ours. It's it's just a non, we don't even think about it. It's always been core core thing. I think ours now is actually how can we deliver that better, the message, the education, um, the product, whereas maybe some other brands, they, they didn't start with that eco-friendly, and but they were able to deliver those other things. They're now switching. How can I integrate more of an environmentally friendly system in, in our business? So we've kind of started the other way. Yeah. So are you finding increasing competition from perhaps more traditional brands out there that you hadn't seen in the past? Yeah, there's definitely a bit of that. There's a little bit of that greenwashing of product, you know, how can we make our disposable product seem less troublesome? So we're getting that side of it for sure. But then the other side is we are seeing a lot of competition for our own product of reusable nappy. We saw Kmart bring out their own um, Big W, um, Baby Bunting have their own range. So really, I think we were in that retail space in the early days as our own brand. And that was important for Aldi's in our relationship. They wanted us to maintain our branding, which was good. And I think for that, for that point of that competition spread, we're now making sure that we can diversify as well. So that we're not only offering a reusable nappy and now everyone's dropping a reusable nappy, but we're offering next next stage, the reusable pull-up and then the swim nappy. So we, I think that diversity is important for us to maintain um, our presence in the industry yeah. and really rethinking ways that we can get the next product into a retailer to then build that brand awareness around that. So for example, um, it was really important for me when we were dealing with Aldi over the last 12 months to ensure that they knew that we wanted to expand beyond just a reusable nappy in Aldi. That was really important for us. We feel like the reusable nappy has had its place. Customers know it's there, but now we need to make the next reusable product just as exclusive. So we are actually dropping a reusable training pull-up in October, which is so exciting. So really, I think it's just making sure that we are staying true to that eco-savviness and it's not trying to greenwash a product, but it actually is what we say it is, but also um, making sure that we can offer more products and, and keep that presence in, in the developing stages of a baby's and, and early childhood life. I think we've we've realised that five years ago, selling a reusable nappy was really just a beautiful lifestyle image that made it appealing. You wanted to be that parent, you know, using that beautiful designer nappy. That is what sold our brand five years ago yeah. because it was so different from anything else on the market. Now it's very different. The, the concept of a, a beautiful print is really not as appealing now as the function, the easy accessibility. I'm a working parent. How can this one save me money? And also how can it be a quick integration into my, my routine? So what we need to do is make sure that our website is set up for that working parent, that parent that just wants to find what they need to find, buy it and, you know, get back to feeding the kids or putting them to bed or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so really our website at the moment, it, or really the, the past few years, it's been focused on that beautiful lifestyle imagery, that appeal, that kind of peaceful purchasing journey. And really right now, even despite what we want to do as a brand, just the way that e-com's moving is it needs to be fast, quick, Easy to decipher information, easy to add things to cart and check out and be done, yeah. you know, and have that product landing at my door with all the information that I have, with all the information I need to get started. Yeah, We're just overhauling out our entire e-com, really just to cater to how the customer is shopping now and making sure that part of that is, is having that information there and and all of the tips and tricks that parents need um, for our product range and, and having our socials complement that. 
Yeah. Yeah. The story has got to be consistent from end to end. And I love what you said there about the way that people consume information about products has changed a lot in the last 10 years, definitely. And even in the last five years, and we're so kind of accustomed now to having little snapshots of things sent to us that we have to structure the way that we're telling our story to our customers in a different way. You know, back in the day, it might've been you know, reading a, a long essay about on the About Us page because people were desperate to find you and that doesn't work anymore. You know, you've got to be able to tell your story in bite-sized chunks so that by the time they actually make their purchasing decision, they've formed this picture in their mind of the totality and why, it make, why it's a good match. And so what you, everything you've said there sounds absolutely, you know, on point for what you need to be doing. So very, very impressive. Now, I know we're coming to the end of our time together, which is making me more than a little sad, Jordan, because I feel like I could talk to you about this stuff all day. You're doing so many amazing things. What's next, though? You've already accomplished uh, an international brand. You've already accomplished such tremendous success with onboarding partners and doing all that sort of stuff. What's next on your trajectory other than revamping your website? I guess that that revamping of the website is more than just that overhaul on on a face, face value. It's actually overhauling our systems, our operations, the way that we, um, I guess, bundle and and conceptualize a product for the customer. There's a lot going on there. But the reason why we're doing that is so we have an easily exportable, not only product range, but system. So if we want to go into a 3PL in the US and in you, you know, in Poland for, for Europe, we can do that. So right now, I think what we're doing is we've realized that basically the last five years, we've been busy just surviving with the demand and the growth we've had. What we're doing the next five years is being a little bit more strategic. Where do we want our product? How do we want it portrayed? How can we meet the customer's demands? And really making sure that we can have a customer looking at our social media in Germany and they're being being able to buy it straight away. So that's where we're at at the moment. We've got this beautiful Australian household name. We have a distributor um, in Japan. We, um, We have stockists throughout Europe, US, and Hong Kong and Singapore, all of that, what we need to do now is make sure that we are keeping our product um, on trend, easily accessible, affordable, and having that system um, exported easily so we can meet the customer wherever they are around the world. So that's where we're at at the moment, as well as keeping our retail collaborations fun, new, keeping up with, you know, making sure we've, we're dropping a new reusable product. So that's really where we are the next few years, and it's really exciting. It, it is very exciting, and I, I love I love the transition from being kind of not just scrappy, but be scrapping to try and keep up to to actually getting ahead of the game and thinking very strategically. So it's 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 wonderful to see such a success story in the space of, of sustainable brands. So thank you for that. Now, where can people buy these wonderful products, Jordan? Where, where should they go? Well, there's a few places that you can shop our product. Of course, our biggest one would be Instagram. We're at Bear and Boho. Um, and it's B-A-R-E and B-O-H-O. Um, and then that will direct you to our website, bearandboho.com.au, obviously Facebook and very soon TikTok. So um, we're excited about that, all of that. But yeah, you can find out more about us through socials and that gives you a bit more of an idea about our brand. Fantastic. Jordan, thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey with us today on the show. And we wish you continued enormous success uh, over the next five years. Thank you so much, Charles, for having me. Okay, back to Giles again for my top three takeouts. Jordan was very smart with how she launched her brand. What kills most brands in early stages, even ones with great ideas, is the cash flow required to keep up with growth. Jordan managed that by pre-selling before placing factory orders. That's a strategy we've used with our clients many times for product launches. And to be effective, you need to be selling a product that people are prepared to wait for. In other words, they can't get it elsewhere. 
you also need to be fronting up as the face of the brand so that people place their trust in you, not just some faceless business. Second, I love how Jordan's thinking about long-term customer value. When you're making something that a customer may never need to buy again, i.e. reusable nappies, you have to keep working on other products that your customers are going to need that are aligned with your brand and strengthen your connection with your customers. Jordan's brand makes this easy to understand because as your baby gets older, they need different things. Think about how your customer evolves and what journey they're on to figure out other useful products that you can offer over the long term. Lastly, Jordan's observations about how consumer demand is changing is absolutely bang on. It isn't just eco-warriors buying and using sustainable products anymore, it's gone mainstream. If your messaging isn't connecting with this new and much bigger part of the market, you're almost certainly missing out on growth opportunities. So I hope you enjoyed Jordan's story and got some inspiration from that for your own business. I'll see you for another great sustainable brand story next week.